0: you're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gagnon. Nadir Token from 274 Investment Managers joins me this evening to guide us through all the latest news on global markets. Later in the show, we'll also be joined by Chris Freund from Investec Asset Management to discuss the Discovery Balanced Fund. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, Facebook's revealed that up to 87 million users around the globe have been hit by its largest data breach, up from an earlier estimate of more than 50 million users. The social media giants discovered that the personal use of users were properly shared with controversial political data firm Cambridge Analytica in late 2015, but failed to alert users at that time. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook co-founder and CEO, will appear before U.S. lawmakers this week as the social media network faces mounting pressure for new regulations on social media. Shares and streaming service Spotify surged following the largest ever direct listing. On its first day of trade, Spotify topped the market cap of other high-profile recent market entrants, including Twitter, Snap and Dropbox, with a market value of nearly $30 billion. Nearly 91% of Spotify's 178 million shares were tradable, which is much more than typical in a traditional IPO. Some analysts, however, have cautioned investors not to read too much into the early hype. And a raft of Chinese data over the coming weeks is expected to show the world's second biggest economy cooled slightly in March from the first two months of the year, with the main risks to the outlook now centred on an escalating Sino-US trade spat. Here's more on that.
1: We never back down. China's message to the US that it will win any trade war, after the world's two top economies targeted each other with proposed tariffs. This week though, China may also be looking at threats closer to home, as it faces a raft of economic data expected to show its economy slowed slightly in March. It's partly due to a cooling property market and rising borrowing costs. Export growth is expected to have weakened last month, although the import engine may have revved up
0: investors will look at the broader picture in, in, in China which is of an economy which is moving from an investment and an export-led economy to one that's more focused on uh, consumption.
1: The main risk remains the escalating trade spat after the US proposed a list of 50 billion dollars in duties on Chinese goods and China hit back with its own threatened tariffs on US imports including soybeans, plains and whiskey. Its latest trade figures are due on Friday.
2: Trump and Mr
0: Mnuchin have both said that the trade deficit with China is unacceptably large. They want to see it significantly reduced. And if the market uh, evidence is that the trade deficit is getting worse, not better, that will simply add fuel to the fire.
1: Stock markets have been rocked in recent weeks by the Sino-US tensions. Although some say the global economy is running so well, it could cope with the impact of tariffs. Industrial output growth is likely to have slowed in March, and broad inflation readings are expected to reveal a slackening in growth. One shining light, though, might come from bank lending and retail sales, thanks to the rise of the Chinese middle class, something American exporters will likely be hoping to hold on to as a major source of their future growth, too.
0: Well, dear Token from 27.4, joining me in studio. So l- let's start off with this uh, Trump trade tirade, because it looks like a tit-for-tat match between the it US does. and China. Yeah. And China hasn't yet retaliated to Trump's latest move, and that is to include another $100 billion dollars worth of, of goods for, yeah. for those tariffs. Where do you see this going? Does it have implications for the broader market? It
2: does. It does indeed. So, I mean, for the time being, all of these are obviously... A proposals. um, They're not necessarily cast in stone and there's still time to come to the negotiating table. We're seeing a couple of key events are obviously happening in the next couple of days. China is having the equivalent um, investor summit, the equivalent of what Davos is to the Western world. China is having internally over the next couple of days. We know that um, China is trying to open up its market to foreign direct investment and to foreigners open, open up the stock market to foreign investors. So Um, These are quite critical considerations in terms of global sentiment and, um, you know, what's going to be retaliated from the U.S. We know the Chinese asset management industry is going to be five times its current size. Um, in In eight years t- or seven years' time by two thousand twenty five so it 's going to be the second largest asset management industry in the world, so these are obviously all sideline considerations happening to the broader economic prospects of um, these trade wars, like you mentioned, one hundred billion dollars, the latest announcement from from um, President donald Trump of, exp- of of imports from China and um, It seems like the Chinese are slow to rea- retaliate because their, their um, tariffs that they're announcing seem to be very, very strategic. Um, You know, you look at the tariffs they've announced so far, the $50 billion worth of goods. $50 billion seems relatively small in terms of the context of trade between the two Mm -hmm. countries. Um, But the industries he's targeting, think about soybeans, think about U.S. manufacturing. That's exactly the the heartland of of Trump voters or or airplanes, you know. That's exactly who voted Trump into power. So the the retaliations from the Chinese authorities have been exceptionally well considered. And you expect nothing uh, different with this latest measure of escalation we saw China... Um, saying that they're going to take the U.S. to the World Trade Organization. So tensions are are exceptionally heightened. Um, You know, it it seems ridiculous that markets trade on the back of what uh, President Donald Trump is going to tweet every morning. Uh, But this morning, you know, mentioning that China will always be an ally and, you know, the markets are opening significantly higher in Wall Street today, just under a percent higher um, on the back of perhaps those trade tariffs not going to be implemented. So I think for the time being, we trade on the back of those headlines. Are there going to be tariffs? Aren't they going to be tariffs and the market seems to be caught in two months but the economic impact of it can be can be pretty damaging you know just at the point in time where we thought we're getting synchronized global growth um, all of a sudden if we see tariffs being slapped on commodities we're gonna see commodity prices coming under pressure um, we're gonna see uh, pr- perhaps that's derailing emerging markets a little bit I don't think it's gonna completely derail it but mm-hmm. certainly the very optimistic picture we're painting at the beginning of the year might not play out that's gonna impact sentiment that's gonna reduce investment that obviously has the knock-on impact but and um, you know, we're still a while away from that. Uh, let's hope that calm heads prevail and we can actually prevent that from happening because the underlying fundamentals actually look quite solid in terms of companies investing, companies earnings, Numbers th- coming out later this week in terms of uh, first quarter numbers for the U.S. And, um, you know, we expect to see very bump- very strong numbers there. So if the politicians can actually just behave themselves, I think, um, you know, the global equity market presents quite a, quite an interesting opportunity into the medium term now.
0: R- would you be avoiding some of those targeted industries that China has mentioned, such as? Aircraft makers or auto b- car makers,
2: soybeans. Yeah, <laughs> look, I mean, I think I think there's sufficient quality companies scattered across across the the, the various industries, and um, you know that are going to be relatively well sheltered from this. And um, you know, it's exactly the same question about like big tech. You know, th- if you we know with certainty that in. Two years' time, three years' time, five years' time, there's going to be more regulation on tech companies rather than less tech companies. I think that's fairly obvious to say at this point in time. Um, That's obviously going to place a dampener on the rate at which they're growing their earnings, and as a result of that, you're going to place a dampener on what multiple you're willing to pay for those kind of equities, especially given how expensive they are at the moment. The same argument applies... To these industries, which are going to be the most impacted, um, in terms of U.S. manufacturing, in terms of uh, U.S. agriculture, the same argument exists. You know, it, at the bottom line, is that this may be noise and will pass over. But normally, there has to be some deal reached. You know, there can't be. The, 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 after all, all, all the all the noise that there has been, um, you know, Trump uh, Donald, uh, President Donald Trump is going to have to walk away from these trade negotiations with something. That 350 billion dollar trade deficit that is running with China is going to have to be reduced slightly, um, not. To the full extent of what's being priced in now but reduced slightly and china is going to have to retaliate with something so that is going to place a dampener on some of these companies um, equities Mm -hmm. going forward you know in terms of the agricultural sector Um, You know, those are what's been targeted now, but let's not forget, um, Apple's largest market outside of the US is actually China. So, you know, things can get get extremely complicated, um, you know, if these negotiations go badly. So we watch with bated breath, uh, but I think, you know, common sense will ultimately prevail and there will be some buying opportunities that are presented, but it's gonna be a bumpy ride until this noise works its way out the system.
0: You mentioned tech companies and one that's been in the headlines is Facebook. We had it in the news headlines. Mm Eighty seven million users now, not just fifty million. And yeah. um, do you see some long term fallouts for Facebook over
2: this data breach? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, I think the biggest issue is that so there's a couple of issues with regards to a company like Facebook. I think the first is that the entire premise of Facebook is 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 basically users being able to you know um, submit their or or profile their whatever information they want to online and the sanctity of of protecting that data and the privacy of that data is is sacrosanct you know and I think that's the reputation that has got Facebook across the 1 billion or and across the one and a half billion user mark that's the the platform on which uh, you know Facebook can go and buy whatsapp and pay an outrageous multiple for whatsapp and pay an outrageous multiple for Instagram to uh, the current the earnings that they, that they're generating and the reason they can do that is because they know that by gathering all these users they're going to be able to sustain the number of users they have on their platform and they're going to figure out how to monetize them the problem becomes if you no longer trust that Facebook is treating your data as private you're going to be a little bit less comfortable about having all these social media accounts all of a sudden you start to see growth in the number of users plateau and the and 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 the probability or the capability of a company like Facebook to monetize not only the users the user growth but also monetize the users they do have because um, you know advertisers are less inclined to spend on their platforms because they're not going to see the return on that investment because less people are using it that is severely jeopardized and that places them in a very precarious position so I think at the very least uh, there's gonna have to be even nominally we're gonna have to see regulators announce some regu- uh, regulation on tech companies They're the investment banks in the banks of 25 years ago you know you, you can't have endless amounts of power um, and that that that's currently essentially what they have and that's why they have such a strong runway of earnings growth ahead of them so regulation is going to bring in some sort of cap in terms of uh, earnings growth potential that's gonna scare the market a little bit especially when you're paying 40 times earnings because you're Paying 40 times earnings because you're confident that they can grow into that number quite aggressively. But if you're no longer confident about that growth, all of a sudden, 40 times earnings looks very shaky, and the stock starts to derate a little bit. And that's exactly why we've seen tech probably uh, tech leading the losses um, in in this global sell-off in the first quarter, very likely into the second quarter. Even though, um, you know, yes, tech companies have been some controversy in terms of stealing IP, China stealing US IP, and there's been that. But it hasn't really been at the heartland of the Sanction debates, you know, yet no. they've led the losses. And the reason for that is that when you couple high multiples with the prospects of potentially reduced earnings growth, it, it could lead to some potential problems.
0: And yet a warm welcome given to Spotify when it listed last week on the on, on, on the US markets, um, yeah. valued at close to $30 billion on yeah. listing day.
2: Yeah, no, it's so in terms of. Gains on listing that was actually really quite an interesting stat. I think the gains on listing that Spotify features in the top five or six listings ever in history. So I mean, gains outstripped that of Alibaba. It's outstripped that of of, of uh, Alphabet or Google at the time when it listed. So the gains were phenomenal. And to think that was a direct listing, no roadshows, no closed doors meeting, no massive investment banking fees. Um, you know, I think it was a ma- it, it it was a massive slap in the face of all investment banks, certainly. Uh, but in terms of I think there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on Spotify to deliver earnings growth they they being they've been touted as the savior of the music industry Uh, people don't no longer buy CDs you know they listen to music on the cloud and uh, Spotify is the largest competitor to Apple music in that space so um, you know gathering more and more artists onto their platform that enables more and more user growth that enables revenue growth as people switch to uh, more online streaming of music and online consumption of music and air consumption of music rather than the old school CDs and storage on, on, on a physical device. So I think there's a lot of optimism priced in there yet to see whether delivery is going to happen. We've seen IPOs pop traditionally um, quite aggressively uh, with all the optimism that comes. Whether this fizzles out over time. Look, I think there's a more solid business case to be made for um, a Spotify than there is for to a Snap, for example, because after I figure out I can put dog ears on my picture, <laughs> I'm not willing to pay for it 10 minutes later. But, um, you know, consuming music content that I probably, I, I am inclined to pay for for a very long period of time so um, it's i think for now it's about gaining more and more artists i think it's about um that's going to give it more and more credence in terms of uh, user growth and that's going to continue to rise revenue growth but the gains have been excessive and you know you can expect this one to be volatile for some time
0: okay so watch this space um, some of us do still buy cds unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> we're going to a short break when we come back we get to take a look at the discovery balanced fund that's with chris freund from investec asset management don't go anywhere Welcome back. You're watching Global Investors. Still with me in studio is Nadir Token from Seven Four Joining us on the line, Chris Freund from Investec Asset Management. We're discussing the Discovery Balanced Fund, which he manages. Chris, thanks very much for chatting to us this evening. So if you invest in the Discovery Balanced Fund, what are you getting there?
3: Um, I'm sorry, Stephen. I didn't quite hear that question. Do you mind repeating it?
0: If you invest in the Discovery Balanced Fund, what are you investing in?
3: You are investing in a multi-asset fund, um, by definition, with equities, bonds, cash, properties, commodities, etc. You're investing in a fund, um, as a result, is fairly diversified and will give you less volatile returns that are hopefully ahead of inflation comfortably ahead of inflation over sort of three to five years that's really what you're looking for Mm.
0: Uh, of course and the trade-off of course for those less volatile funds is probably you're not going to uh, outperform an equity-only fund are you
3: no to be told over time equity-only funds should outperform all balance funds because the sort of what they say the equity risk premium the return you can get from equity should be greater than a sort of combined blend of of assets, like I have just described. But on the other hand, you have to be prepared for the heart failure that sometimes comes with being invested in equity only funds.
0: And, and still, you, I mean, you have done pretty well. You've delivered close to eleven percent over the past year, and, you, and you've comfortably beaten your benchmark um, over the longer term as well as the, as, as the short term. Uh, your benchmark, though, is just as a peer group average, isn't it?
3: Correct. Um, Stephen, this is a competitive game. Um, We don't claim to be geniuses, um, but we've done okay over the last sort of short term and I guess long term relative to the peers. Um, I think we've sort of more than held our own.
0: Um, uh, and looking at the, the offshore components, since we are the, the Global Investor Show, um, you have close to 20% in foreign equities. Now, your top holdings are all local stocks. Take us through some of your top global holdings, Chris.
3: Well, we, we tend to look at our offshore portfolio. We don't buy individual stocks on the offshore side. We, we, buy, we buy funds, we buy regions, we buy themes, um, and we will use the most efficient way that we can get that exposure. So for example, um, we currently like the Japanese equity market, which is fairly contrarian. And we bought the cheapest way we could access that market was um, by sort of an index topics, index position. On the other hand, we also like, uh, the European equity market. And there, in fact, we bought, um, an investic European fund, which is one of the top performing, uh, European equity funds. So there we're getting what we would say this sort is of exposure to Europe and uh, as well as a lot of stock picking exposure. So, and then we'll put a currency overlay, for example, on the offshore portion. So we've had a, underweight U.S. dollar position for, 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 for quite a while now, which has added quite a lot of value because U.S. dollar hasn't done particularly well over the last 12 to 18 months, and we've had rather exposure in, 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 a, in a broad selection of, of other offshore currencies. So that's, that's, in a nutshell, how we manage the offshore portion of the fund.
0: Mm. What do you make of that strategy, and Nadir, a good way to play it?
2: Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it, it, is, it is a good way to play it because you stick to what you're good at, which is the local market and what you know inside out and can pick stocks on a bottom up basis. And uh, in terms of the, the, the offshore allocation, um, you rather play themes rather than doing stock picking. Um, you know, where there's a universe of something like 50,000 securities globally, it's going to be very difficult to model up from a bottom up perspective what are the most attractive opportunities there. But there's obviously some themes that play th- through the market at, 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 at various points in time. Chris, Maybe just one question from my side in terms of um, you know, the offshore allocation at the moment. Obviously, when the RAND strengthens quite a lot like it has over the course of the last four months, that can be quite detrimental to the contribution to performance from the offshore equity markets and uh, probably a source of great frustration through 2017 where offshore equity markets did phenomenally well, but the RAND strengthened sort of uh, 10 or 11% towards the back end of the year. So how are you guys thinking of, uh, of the offshore markets and you know what are your guys' thoughts in terms of how you want to be exposed there uh, relative to, say, history and relative to what your average allocation has been?
3: Yeah, thanks. Those those are good questions and and good observations. That rand strength, per se, is actually often bad for domestic investors' returns uh, because of the offshore portion. But but that's, in a sense, water under the bridge. How are we positioned now going forward? Um, Well, first of all, we are fairly sanguine about risk assets generally and about equity markets. We we don't think the saber rattling um, between Trump and China, for example, on the trade wars is going to derail the uh, global expansion, economic expansion. Um, If you have that view, then the corollary of that view is that you have to be fairly sanguine about emerging market currencies. In other words, you don't expect them to take an almighty hit because the only time they take an almighty hit is, is when global growth, uh, perceptions of global growth take a dive. Having said that, we don't expect the RAND to strengthen much more from the sort of 11, 50, 12 to the dollar level. So I wouldn't think we'll take much more pain, if I could say that, from, from RAND's strength on the, uh, with respect to the offshore assets. And are through the cycle, neutral offshore allocation, if we were allowed if there was no exchange control whatsoever in South Africa, we would have offshore weightings of probably between thirty to thirty five percent so so uh, you know an allocation of twenty five percent so far has has been less than a sort of a neutral weighting over time and i guess as as our perceptions of the of the cycle come to an end we will take that weighting up to the new maximum of, of 30%. But in a, in a nutshell, I think equity markets in dollar terms are going to do fine. Uh, I think this dust will settle quite soon on the, on the trade war dust. Um, so dollar returns are going to go up, and I don't expect them to be held back much more by, by rand strength um, in the short term. In the long term, we're going to make a lot of money from our clients, from, from RAN weakness at the appropriate time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, Chris, I think you may have answered our next question because we were trying to read all the, the small prints on the, on the fund fact sheet. Um, you are a Regulation 28 compliance
3: fund then? Yes, yes, correct. We are, absolutely. We've got a lot of pension funds that invest, Small smaller pension funds that invest in the Discovery Balance Fund. So,
0: yeah, we um, yeah. are. Okay, and you said you are going to increase your allocation offshore Following the, the the changes made in the recent budget, uh, I mean, you mentioned Japan uh, and Europe as as two of the the geographies you're looking at. Where else would you be growing your offshore exposure?
3: Well, um, we don't have too many other big positions involved. We've got a, we've got a very underweight, if I could say that, position in in, in, in American equities. We we think the valuations of those shares have have run a hell of a lot harder than some of the other geographies. Um, so, you know, that's really, those are our big uh, regional positions. Um, on the currency side, we've, we've got some uh, of the sort of non-commodity, or sorry, some of the uh, developed market uh, currency overlays. We've got, uh, you know, positions in, in the Aussie dollar, uh, Canadian dollar as well. Um, so those are, I mean, really, we don't tend to change our offshore positions very quickly, Stephen. Um, we 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 hooked into the Investec Global uh, Asset Management platform, which helps us a lot, quite frankly. Um, operating from Cape Town, and and we hook into their ideas, and, and those are those are some of the bigger ideas we've got on this position. Uh,
0: and I suppose, Chris, um, although you've only got 20% in foreign equity directly. Uh, I, I suppose investors should also be cognizant of the fact that within your top holdings, there is actually a lot of offshore exposure there, um, such as Naspers, um, the likes of Richemont, Mondi, um, also Anglo-American. That p- investors are getting some offshore exposure within the local portfolio. Uh,
3: Stephen, I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I missed it just the gist of that question. Can you just repeat it very in an edited form?
0: I suppose your your local equity holdings also within that have a lot of off- offshore exposure through the yeah, likes of Nasperis yeah, and Richmond. Correct, correct, correct. correct. Uh, your, your cash holdings. Um, you, I mean, you, you talked about your your dollar overlay that you had over the period, um, but you're also holding quite a bit a bit of local cash as well. Is that deliberate?
3: No, we don't hold that much local cash. I don't know which period, which exact period you're looking at, um, but you know, I, I have the view that. Through the cycle, um, cash is a drag on returns. So, you don't generally want to hold high cash levels um, for any particular length of time. Obviously, uh, cash return is a whole lot better than a negative return when markets fall. So, there are times to just you know put up the uh, uh, pull down the sales, if I could say that, and, and, and just try and protect capital, and then you then you have lots of cash. But those are the exception rather than the norm. Um, and Most of the time, I would like to have as little cash as possible. Um, Be invested in risk assets, whether it's combination of equity and fixed income bonds, which obviously have got less volatility than equity, but they still have vol- more volatility than cash. Um, so, I, I think right now, even we don't in fact have that much domestic cash. We've got some offshore cash at the moment, but we don't have that much a uh, uh, domestic cash in the portfolio. Most of our clients money is invested to try and make money at the moment to 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 make capital being in a combination of domestic equity offshore equity and and quite frankly quite a lot of domestic bonds the situation in South africa has got a lot better in the last uh, couple of months and and we've got a bigger bond position that, than most
0: okay um, chris i'm afraid we're out of time so we're gonna have to cut it short there but thank you very much for chatting to us this evening
3: no, an absolute pleasure
0: Okay. That's uh, unfortunately the show for this week. Thanks again to Nandir Token from 27.4. Also, Investec Asset Management's Chris Freund for their insights. More next week.